Hey y'all, this is Amy. And this is Meg. And we're 1096 Crime Chicks. And Meg is my new co-host. Hey y'all. Meg and I have been friends for many, many years. And she decided to sign up and help me with the podcast. So excited, y'all. I'm a total true crime nerd, so this is like a dream come true. So excited. I know. I'm very excited, too. We've had many, many conversations about many, many cases. So. But particularly this one. This is like my pet case, so I can't wait to get started. Yes. Yeah, so do you want to tell everybody what we're doing? I would love to. So we are doing John Benet Ramsey. So excited. So this happened back in 1996. Like, do you remember when this happened? Yes. Like, I kind of, I was in high school. Yeah, so we I were kind of, both. It was your senior it year. It was my senior year. So now everybody knows how old we are. Oh, that's okay. Okay. It was my junior year, so. <laughs> She's not as old as me. <laughs> we yeah. were both in high school. Yes, we were. So 1996 is when it happened. So 20, I mean, 23 years ago now. So yeah. John Bonet would be like almost 30. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. She was six when it happened. So crazy to think she would be that old. Little background info, I guess, about her parents, I Mm -hmm. guess, just so we know where she came from. Her dad was John, born in 1943, had a couple of siblings, he had a bachelor's degree and an MBA, so clearly he's a smart guy, got married, yeah, smart, got married right out of college, so I name was Lucinda, they had three kids together, and then divorced amicably in... 1978 so and do you know i mean i know one of the kids at least was a daughter do you two daughters and a son okay two daughters one son from his first marriage and by all accounts after their divorce like they still were both in atlanta and he still saw them all the time like still totally involved dad had him you know weekend summer had bedrooms set up for him in his home like he was never like you know an absent dad yeah post-divorce awesome yes so then obviously the other major player patsy yes she's a character yeah yeah okay so patsy was born in 1957 and john was 14 years older than her so she likes her sugar daddies i'm just kidding that's so horrible <laughs> i mean he he did he had some money yeah he's older i guess attractive i don't know i don't yeah, know if he's i mean not ugly he seems attractive yeah. now he wasn't ugly he no. certainly was not ugly and he had a master's degree and plenty of money so. right yeah she won Miss Virginia in 1977, and she was a sorority girl from West Virginia, so I'm sure he... So I th- I th- yeah, I mean, I think she was always just beautiful and popular, and, you know, I think that's, that's kind of her MO. I mean, I think right. she was always that. So she went to West Virginia for college and competed in pageants and then won Miss West Virginia. So, I mean, clearly, I mean, John thought she was beautiful and was captivated by her, clearly. So her parents were a little suspicious at first. 36-year-old father, three that she's, like, dating and gets married to, but then they, like, Yeah, like, quickly. that's weird. Like, I think if my daughter was 22 and a 36-year-old man with three kids won her I think that I might be a little suspicious like I would too 22 is young I mean that's young she was 22 when they met so they were suspicious right but by all accounts they fell in love with him too totally trusted him he it was old-fashioned went to her father to ask permission to marry her. That's so awesome. Very sweet. And they gave permission. So also, apparently, when he asked Patsy to marry him, the first thing she said was, have you asked my parents? 
So <laughs> she also wanted to make sure that it was okay with them. She, she was old fashioned like that. So yeah, clearly they had permission. They got married in 1980 and they lived there in Atlanta. So that's where they were. Their families were in Atlanta. So they had a son named Burke. I'm sure we all have heard of Burke. We'll talk you... about Burke more and more. We'll right. talk about <laughs> Burke more later. Right, and he was born in 1987, and then John Bonet was born in 1990. And wasn't John Bonet like John was from John? Right, and John Ramsey's middle name is Bennett, John Bennett okay. Ramsey. So they just Patsy wanted to name her after her dad, so they just kind of Bonet was kind of fashioned from Bennett. So okay, I'd already always heard the story, but I couldn't remember. Yes, it. his name is John Bennett, so they kind of made up the name Jean Bonet, and sometimes they pronounce Jean Benet, not yeah. John Benet, like yeah. you know, like that would John. be the southerner yes. me saying John Benet. <laughs> yeah, I would say John Benet, but a lot of times they said Jean Benet. It was hmm. very fancy. Patsy was fancy. She was fancy for sure. So John started his computer business. He had a computer business. Um, he started it in '89. It's called Access Graphics, and later they were purchased by Lockheed Martin. I mean, which is huge. Lockheed Martin is huge. Clearly, he made a lot of money with that transaction. Absolutely. And so they moved him to Boulder. They had to move him to Boulder in 1991. He was the president and CEO and, um, I mean, wealthy, clearly. So right. they moved to Boulder, left all their family. So all their family was still in Atlanta. And by all accounts, they always considered Atlanta home. They liked being in Boulder. They were involved in Boulder, but Atlanta was always home. Right. So John's eldest daughter, Elizabeth, was killed in a car crash, and she was 22 in 1992. Um, so sad. So, I mean, that's terrible. That's terrible. She was 22, and... Um, and so, he's in Boulder, and she's in yes, Georgia. Yes. She was a college student, and she was with her boyfriend, and they were actually both killed. Like, it was this horrible, tragic event. And so, John talks about that happening a lot, and about how, like, that's just the worst loss you can imagine. Like, the loss of a child, and mm -hmm. how it just goes against everything to like bury your own child so he wrote about that loss a lot in his book and so he said you know obviously he grieved so deeply for a while and he said for a while he couldn't even sleep in his bed he said he had to sleep on the floor for a, yeah for a while because he was grieving so deeply and he said he felt really guilty sleeping in like a comfortable bed while he knew that his daughter was like I don't know in a casket under the ground so I mean he, by all accounts he grieved like deeply and horribly like that was a really dark low time in his life so but it was also then that faith became really important to him so and faith plays a big part in this too their the Ramsey's faith does so I mean they were always churchgoers they were churchgoers in Atlanta but he said it was really at that point after they called her Beth Elizabeth they called her Beth and he said it was at that point after Beth died that like his faith became really personal to him and so he started you know just going to a Bible study and really digging into the Bible more and praying more and all of that because the hope of seeing Beth again is kind of what pulled him out of that depression and helped mm -hmm. him kind of move on so anyway he had already been through plenty of tragedy right and then Patsy gets diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer in 1993 and that's horrible horrible one year later like probably I mean he was still really probably in the throes of grief and depression from right his daughter's death right stage 4 cancer and I mean think how young their kids were when she was diagnosed so Burke was like six Mm -hmm. Five and John Benet was like two or three, depending on when her birthday was. So, right. I mean, he had two babies at home. 
Yeah. And a wife with stage four cancer. And obviously we know that she made it, which is amazing. Yeah. But, she lived know. for a long time after that. She did. Almost, gosh, like 20 years. She did. Yeah. Over 20 years after that. But I mean, her chances of survival were terrible. And apparently the best doctors they found weren't in Boulder. So she would fly like back and forth to um, the cancer center and then fly home and be hospitalized in Boulder for a week and then fly back to the cancer center. So she was kind of absent. Couldn't, you know, hands-on parent very much right. or you know like about a year I think while they were getting her into remission but tons of surgeries chemo lost her hair all of that eventually went to remission yeah all right so do you want to talk about her pageant stuff yeah well Patsy was a beauty queen yeah like she competed and yeah she competed in pageants she won a lot of them but she said it was great because a lot of times prizes were like scholarship so I mean a lot of that helped pay for her college so I mean she just had a really fun experience with pageants she didn't have any negative experiences with pageants and I guess if you're winning them all like <laughs> they're all, yeah that's so fun of course awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun to win and probably isn't as fun if you lose all your pageants but she was winning them so she loved them she like you said earlier but she won Miss Virginia in 1977 so she competed Miss America like she was a real pageant I mean that's yeah Miss America so cool yeah you know? and her sister was a beauty queen as well so her sister did the same thing and I don't think it was Miss Virginia I'm gonna have a sorry it's okay I don't remember she was Miss from another state, state. <laughs> from wherever I believe wherever she was in college at the time she won that state so her and her sister both have competed in Miss America mm -hmm. so clearly pageants were a big deal to the family and had been a really positive experience for right them. Not, right they were it was, they had a positive experience so John Bonet grew up watching pageant videos she grew up watching her mom compete in pageants I mean y'all can find on YouTube like clips of Patsy like introducing herself at Miss America. Hey y'all, I'm Patsy Paul, Miss West Virginia. Like you can That's find so her. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find her on, on YouTube. So she grows up watching her mom compete in Miss America. Like, yeah. of course you want to do that. That looks that's awesome. So clearly she wants to do that. That looks super fun. They've had Patsy's had positive experiences with it. So they say, why not? Like, right. like do you think that's weird? They let her do it? I mean, so my first thought on the whole pageant, I guess, viewpoint was, you know, you see how pageants are so blown up today. And I'm sure it was different back when Jean Benet was young. Jean Benet. He said that. Jean Benet. He said that very fancy. But, you know, now it's knock down, dry out fights to get your Absolutely. kids. Absolutely. Toddlers and tiaras. Yes. Yeah. And so my first thought was, these people are crazy. They're making their daughter, you know, do this and everything. But then, you know, once... So Meg obviously knows a lot more about this than I do because this is like her favorite case. Kind of like Jessica's favorite case was Diane Downs and that, you know? So, um, I jump in it. Right. And so once I kind of heard you talking about it and about how she watched the videos of her mom and she would like mimic doing the same things that her mom did or wearing her shoes and like her sash yeah. and stuff, it makes a whole lot more sense. And then I'm not like, oh, they're making her do it. Like she yeah. really wanted to do yeah. it. She really wanted to do it and I think about and I'm sure if you know y'all those of y'all with kids can relate but like I grew up dancing and so like my daughter used to watch my dance recital videos and then she'd put on my old tap shoes and perform you know like perform in the kitchen and so we put her in dance lessons young because I had had a great experience dancing so she 
she wanted to try it and did it. So to me, it just didn't seem, it didn't seem weird that she was in pageants. Right. I think there's a lot of talk about that it really sexualized her. But like Amy and I, we spent some time looking at like some of the costumes she wore and stuff in the pageants. And I mean, I'm just, I'm not really seeing it. I'm not really. I mean, it's the same as, you know, taking pictures of your kids in their dance costumes. Exactly. I mean, it's even the same as taking pictures of your kids at the beach. Right. I mean, it's the same exactly. thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a string bikini. Right. It's not half naked. No. It's very tasteful. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the pictures, I mean, she's in like a little American flag outfit with a little skirt or literally like, I don't even know that any of them showed her belly. They were not. No. I don't no. Think so. They were, we'll post some. Yeah. We'll post some on our Facebook, Facebook page. Maybe Twitter and Instagram. I'm still learning Instagram, so. Yeah, I don't even have an Instagram account. <laughs> so, but really, they got so much flack for hypersexualizing their daughter when I don't know that that was a fair way to paint them. Yeah. I don't know that that was a fair way to paint them. None of it to me looked hypersexualized. And again, I think people maybe not knowing the backstory of her mom and her aunt and how she grew up, right. that, you know, I think it makes more sense if you know a little bit more about the backstory as well right so we're gonna move right along <laughs> we're just we? yeah we're just moving just moving right along so she did though do a lot of these pageants locally like she had just right before her death she had just won like miss colorado christmas or something right right before her death but, uh, but she did do a lot of pageants locally. Certainly there could have been some sick predator watching her at these pageants. And so John will say now, her dad John, he will say now that if he had to go back, he doesn't think he would have let her do it. Mm-hmm. Not because she ever had a negative experience with it. She won all the time and she loved it. But he does see how having her in lots of pageants, particularly locally and winning a lot of them, it did, it kind of put her out there. Right. And plus, I mean, you kind of, it's like we talked last night, it's kind of, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty because in 96, while there are child sex predators and there are pedophiles and everything, you didn't hear about it like you do today. Right. Exactly. And so it's... Exactly. You know, I think, honestly, I think cases like this are what brought it out there to where everybody hears about it, you know. Nowadays. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and back then also with no social media, I mean, clearly John Bonet was on the cover of every magazine and Star and National Enquirer and all of that. But I mean, a case like this nowadays, can you imagine on social media, like how it would blow up and get, I mean, anyway. So John does say in retrospect, hindsight is twenty twenty. He doesn't think he would have allowed her to do it just in case that was the way that she was kind of seen mm-hmm. and, you know, followed after. Became a, became a, an obsession for some maybe sick predator. So right. another interesting thing was that, so their home was on their home in Boulder. It was part of this historic Boulder holiday home tour in December of 94 and over 2,000 people toured their entire home in two days. That is insane. Insane. Like I 100% could understand a home tour where you're going to look at Christmas lights that are outside right. of the no. house. Indoors. I would not trying to shame people right. at all. Never in my wildest dreams would I let Ever. people come in my house nope. and see everything that I have. Tour your whole home. And clearly they 
were wealthy. I'm sure they had a lot of nice things for people to look at also. So 2,000 people toured this home and knew. So it did have a crazy layout and we can even post some pictures of the interior of the home on Facebook as well. So it did have a really crazy layout. I mean, it was huge, five or 6,000 square feet, huge. It did have a crazy layout. And so of course, a lot of people think like, how did people know where her bedroom was? How would people know, you know, where the wine cellar downstairs and all of the, you know, the basement was, but 2,000 people were in it. Yeah. 2,000 people. And even though it may be a quote unquote guided tour where people are just going to take you to certain places, you know there's got to be one or two Absolutely. they're going to go and look at Absolutely. every single thing in the house. And she was even in pageants back then. She had been in them for a couple of years when she died. So clearly, somebody clearly, you know, it was in the papers like, here's the, you can even go back and look at um, kind of the newspaper or the press release for the different houses on the tour. I think there were six houses on the tour but mm -hmm. you can go back and look at it and it does name who, who the homes belong to so it did say like this address is the home of john and patsy ramsey etc etc so people clearly back then and their address of course right. was also posted so i mean clearly one if someone had already seen john benet and pageants and was targeting them or even if it was someone that john worked with who had a grudge against him or get more into that later too but it was not hard to find their address their home see what it looked like walk through it so right and then Two years later, John gets named Entrepreneur of the Year because his company, Access Graphics, hit a billion dollars yeah. in sales. That is insane. A billion dollars. So now people that were at their house two years ago and touring, now they're like, oh, well, here's their name again. He's a, they're yeah. so rich. Oh yeah. my gosh. The Boulder Chamber of Commerce, you know, they named him Entrepreneur of the Year. In all He's, the magazines. Yes. I mean, it was a huge deal again. Huge. Yes. And then his net worth was reported at $6.4 million. And that was as of May 1st, 1996. So again, two years ago, their house, now he's making all this money. They've announced him as Entrepreneur of the Year. They've announced his net worth. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah, they're target. I mean, that clearly sets you up to be a target. And you know, all of this now he looks back onto and is like, why was that ever announced? Why did we ever put our home on tour for 2,000 people to go through? But you know what? Patsy was showy. She was a showgirl. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, probably some people thought she was snobby. I don't know if she was snobby or not, but she was proud of her home. Like she didn't work outside of the home. It was kind of her thing was to like redecorate her home and make it look amazing. And so she was just a showgirl. Like that's how she grew up. So to her, it was a big deal. She got asked to be on the parade of homes. And so I just don't think, especially back, I just don't think it entered their mind that that could be really dangerous. I think right. hindsight makes you realize it was dangerous. But at the time, I think she was probably just proud to be asked. Heck yeah. Like, yeah. That's cool. Why not? Absolutely. Yeah, why not? So now I guess we're going to get into the actual nitty dun, dun, gritty dun. part. <laughs> So they had a very normal Christmas morning and then that night they went to a Christmas party at their friend's home. I think it was the Whites maybe. I don't remember. Yes. I just remember Fleet seeing the and Priscilla White. Yes. Okay. Yes. They, after they went to the Whites party, they went to some of their friends' homes. They delivered Christmas gifts, which... They were just driving around, like, had a few gifts. I think the kid... John, no, they said John Bonet fell asleep in the car, but, like, knocking on some doors and handing Christmas gifts to some friends, I think, who weren't at the party or whatever. So they drove around for a little bit right. at the party. Yeah. That's so fun. I mean, 
I love to do that. I love to yeah. catch people with yeah. things. So totally to me, normal night. Yes. Yeah. It did not sound like a weird, no, sounded like a totally normal holiday evening. Right. So then when they get home, because she has fallen asleep in the car, John carried her upstairs, put her in her bed. Patsy came up. She changed John Bonet into her pajamas. And then Burke worked on his new model train that he got for Christmas, I'm sure, which normal, totally normal. Yeah. I'm going to open your Christmas gift. Yeah. Like totally normal. Right. They all, Patsy and John both say that John Bonet didn't really wake up during any of that. Like he laid her down. And when she went up to change her pajamas, like she was still mostly asleep, you know, Patsy just dressed her and whatever, but she never really woke up. Didn't eat a bowl of pineapple, which we'll talk about later, but they did (laughs) not feed her pineapple before she went to bed and yeah, just put her to bed. But they all vehemently denied that she was ever awake after that. So the last time they saw her awake and talking was even at the party, fell asleep in the car. They didn't have any conversations with her that night. She didn't wake up and play with their new toys that night. And I mean, that's got to be so normal. Wait, she's six. How many times have you driven around? I mean, I don't yeah. have children, but Meg has four. So how many times have you driven around and they fall asleep in the car and then you carry them in? And she's sick. It was Christmas. So right. clearly they probably woke up with the crack of dawn, mm-hmm. open presents. They had gotten new bikes. So John said they were out like riding bikes all day mm-hmm. went to a party they're exhausted yeah they're exhausted she's exhausted passes out in the car nothing weird about any of them yeah I don't think so Patsy and John wake up about 5 30 so they're going on vacation they're leaving on vacation the morning of the 26th mm-hmm. they're going on a Disney cruise back then it was called the big red boat they were going on a Disney Cute. It's, that's that. fun yeah I, mean, I knew it was a Disney cruise yes. I didn't know used that to they be, it literally at least used to be called the big red boat mm-hmm. some people did say that Patsy wasn't super excited about it just like not being ugly about it but just kind of rolling her eyes being like yay we're going cruise just because you know like maybe she'd rather go to the Caymans I don't know right go somewhere so much better than yeah maybe it didn't sound that fun to her but some people like to use that as like well she didn't want to go on the cruise anyway so you know she's kind of getting yeah she got she was kind of getting out of going on the cruise that she didn't want to go on so apparently she did kind of be like oh I don't know that I want to go on a Disney cruise but you know no big deal but John did own a plane he had a pilot's license and he owned a plane but he wasn't his own family pilot so when they took trips he did not fly them he just had a hired pilot that would fly his plane Mm -hmm. so they did have the pilot hired for that morning and they were going to go to the airport in Boulder where their plane was and fly to I think Atlanta um, to meet his adult children. And mm-hmm. then the adult children were coming also. And so from there, then they were going to fly to like the port, wherever the boat was. So that was their plan for that morning. Mm-hmm. So they had to wake up early. Patsy wakes up and she's going downstairs, I think to make coffee. And it was a spiral staircase that we can post pictures of. But when she was going downstairs, she found the ransom note. It was, you know, several pieces of paper. Yeah. She read them and found that it was a three page ransom letter which I'm sorry that just sounds weird to me usually they're like three sentences yeah your daughter is missing meet us here with this much money or she'll be killed or a phone call even yeah. I mean you yeah. know that's we'll just... call you later and she'll be killed right so yeah 
totally out of the ordinary. Three page right. was insane. And we thought about reading it to you, but it's so long, like you might get bored. But we can also post pictures of it on Facebook and you can find them very easily. Right. The ransom letter just said, your daughter's been kidnapped. The note claimed to be from a small foreign faction demanding a ransom of $118,000 in cash. So of course, the very first thing she does is run to Jean Benet's room to find out where are you? And she's really gone. She's really gone. So she, she calls gone. one. Gone. I mean, like Amy said, the ransom note, it was weird. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And whether or not John and Patsy or Burke are innocent or guilty. Which, which we don't think they they're are. They're totally innocent. <laughs> However, no matter how you, even when you believe they're innocent, I mean, the ransom note's still weird. It's weird mm. and it leaves a weird, icky feeling, I think, with everyone. There's just no, there's just no two bones about it. Twice as long, at least, as a normal ransom note. And the other weird thing about it, it was written on a notepad that belonged in the ransom house yeah they find the notepad and you can see I think I mean I don't know if it's a yellow notepad or a white one but you can see on the next page of paper on the notepad the indentions of where the note had been written right so I mean clearly it had been written in the house and they found one that had been started and ripped off and crumpled up in the mm-hmm. house also so I mean it was written in the house it was their pad of paper it was they found a practice version of it in the house so it was written in the house right. so I mean that's weird yeah and then they demanded the ransom of I believe it was $118,000 yeah. yeah and that was the exact amount of John's Christmas bonus although it was the exact amount that's so weird I mean that's right that's a giveaway no one just just a giveaway I think that it had to have been someone who knew something but Amy and I talked about this too I mean they're not dumb people. They're no. college graduates with good jobs and they're not dumb. And really, do we think they're so dumb they're just going to demand the exact amount of John's Christmas bonus? Yeah, no. It's easy for people to find out. He's well known in Boulder. They're printing his salary for crying out loud right. and how much his net worth. I mean, it's very easy for people to find out what his bonus was. So I just can't buy that they're so stupid that they asked for that much money knowing that people could find out very easily how much his Christmas bonus was. So I don't think I buy that they're that stupid. Right. And honestly, I mean, it's got to be either somebody that's close to the family or, I mean, my opinion, of course, someone that's close to the family or someone that may have been stalking the family. Yeah. It could have been somebody that two years ago came in for the tour and hit cameras somewhere. I mean, could have taken, I thought about that on the tour that people could have easily taken pictures just to remember like where John Bonet's room was knowing we, I think we might want to come back one day or just so we know this. I thought about that. They could have, I bet people on the tour were taking pictures. You probably take pictures of beautifully decorated rooms for Christmas. Like I think that would be normal nowadays with cameras on our phones. Like certainly we would snap pictures of things that we like. So people could have taken pictures. They could have easily known where JonBenet's room was. And then Amy and I talked about this. So the note was written in the home, but they might not have even known that amount. And we were saying there could, I mean, you know, right where the pad of paper was, like there could have been a deposit slip that sat $118,000 or there could have been like his pay stubs sitting right there by the pad of paper and stuff in the kitchen that said his bonus was $118,000. So even if that amount had not been disclosed to the greater public, there could have been something even laying around the house that said what that bonus was. But somehow I think that number has to tie into something. Nobody picks a random number to be $118,000. Wasn't $100,000. It wasn't a million dollars. Right. It was a really random amount of money. Obviously, you know, she finds us, she calls 911. Absolutely hysterical. I 
would be too. I mean, again, I don't have children, but I can only imagine, you know, after getting off the phone with 911, there's all these rumors about, you heard this, you heard, I never heard it, I'm gonna be honest. I mean, of course, you have the subtitles that you can listen to, and it, you know, that's something else that Megan and I talked about, that you can watch something and not hear it at all, but then see the subtitles, and you're like, oh yeah, that's I can totally hear that, yeah. Uh, and, and that goes for anything, you know? So I really think that's all just a load of hullabaloo. Yes. Hullabaloo. Yes. And you can listen to the 911 calls, but apparently some people think they can hear Patsy say like, I don't remember, go back to bed to Burke or like, Burke be quiet. They hear her say, please Jesus, where even if she said, please Jesus, like, that doesn't mean they murdered. Well, right. I mean, like, that doesn't mean anything. I would say, please, Jesus, too. Like, that's not weird. Yeah. But anyway, if we can post a link to the 911 call on our Facebook page, we would love to. We need to make sure that's okay, but... I'm pretty sure uh, we can because it is on YouTube. That's so. true. It's certainly made public. It's certainly <laughs> been made public. And it was also on all of those shows that were just done for the 20th anniversary in 2016. Yes. It was on all of those shows. Which that show made me... Pointing... Incense. Pointing Burke as guilty... And so they're trying to extrapolate from that call. Patsy's saying, like, Bert, be quiet, or Bert, go to bed, or, like, something like that. Like, they're trying to hush him up so they can act terrified mm-hmm. and whatever. So, right. anyway, so in her hysteria, she calls two sets of their close friends and their pastor to come over. She calls the Whites, who had just, they just been at their Christmas party the night before, and then she calls another set of their best friends to come over. Two sets of best friends and their pastor. One of the sets of friends that they called to come over and I think it was the whites and they also called them because they wanted them to take Burke back to their house so they mm-hmm. wanted Burke to get out of the house but at this time you don't have to see everything that's going on exactly and at this time they're still thinking it's a kidnapping and I'm thinking about this too but so if I think my daughter's kidnapped I think I also would be like we've got to get people looking hey yes. guess what happened guess we need you to come over here we've got to find her we've got to find her it's just like when there's a missing child you rally the troops to find a missing child. So I don't know. Do you think it's weird she called friends over? Okay. So that was another thing that we talked about. At first I was like, yes, I thought yes at first only because of my background in work. You know, I used to be the dispatcher for eight and a half years. I was like, that's insane. And like anybody knows not to call people over and mess up the crime scene. Right. Secure the crime scene. Right. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, another thing that I pointed out last night when my mom died, you know, 17 years ago, we called people and there were tons of people at the house. Now, granted, she died from, you know, a disease. It wasn't a murder or anything, but you want those people closest to you to be there for you because you are just overcome with grief and right. you need someone that... Right. And they didn't have family locally. Like, right. I mean, I feel like any of us would call family to come over. I mean, I would call my mom immediately if I woke up, you know, and had a kidnapped child. I'm positive I would call my parents immediately after I called the police. And then I think I'd call my best friend too. And they're just, they're also just sad and they're super involved in their church and I'm thinking of us here in here in Waco and thinking that like it'd be nothing to be like they and they called their pastor like I mean it, it, to me it would be nothing to like call our Sunday school teacher for him to come over because we want him to be with us and to pray with us and to help us out and to call my best friends like to me that just doesn't seem weird I get I, I totally get where Amy's coming from and again hindsight is 2020 so of right. course secure the crime scene everyone get out call the police you know rope it off whatever but I mean I don't even think I don't think they're in their right minds no I don't even think she remembers probably most of that day and so again I don't think their first thought was 
even that this was a crime scene, I think their first thought was just like, she's missing. We've got to find her. Let's rally the troops. Right. And I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know that I think that is weird. And then having their pastor come over. Like, I don't think that's weird at all. No. I think that's kind of normal. They call the police, obviously. So the note says, of course, don't call the police or your daughter will be beheaded. How many times have you seen (laughs) or heard the same thing? Yeah. And guess what happens? Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. Of course, of course they're going to call the police. No, it says don't call the police. And it says we will call you later. You know, they demand this ransom and we'll call you later kind of to give you instructions. So they call the police. Police comes over and they put a wiretap on their phones waiting for the call. You know, Mm -hmm. so if and when they call in, they'll have it recorded. But the police make a ton of mistakes. I mean, did John and Patsy make mistakes by calling people to come over? Sure. But the police screwed it up. From the first minute they stepped foot on the property. Terrible. Yes. Terrible. Clear. And Amy can speak more to this, but clearly to a crime scene, like, what's the first thing you do? You search it. You search it. You kick everyone out of the house and you search the crime. They did none of that. No. None of it. They did not seal off the area. And friends and family were still coming and going. Like, mm-hmm. someone brought breakfast I think I think someone like left and got breakfast and brought breakfast back and then the pastor I mean people were coming and going in and out the front door there is snow so like you know they talk about you know looking for looking for footprints in the snow but good gosh I mean there have been 20 people in the house that morning by that point can you you can't trust any of the evidence you find at the home at that point how can you trust any of that and the police continue to allow people to come and go. Yeah, they didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. So they sucked it up. The thing that really got me, the third point that we kind of wanted to talk about with the police was the detective that was assigned, or one of the detectives that was assigned, assigned to the case told John and his friend Fleet yeah. White, hey, why don't you do this, the search, you know, canvas yeah. the house because we're not going to. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? You know the house better, so why don't y'all, they told him, search it bottom to top. That's kind of weird too. Why'd they start with the bottom? Right. But they told him to do that. It wasn't like John knew she's in the bottom, so let's start there and find her. The police said, y'all go search it bottom to top. Like, why would you ever send the father to do the search? Even, right. Even if there's a chance that the kid is still there. Like, why would you let the father discover her? Right. And people always think it's weird. I mean, I think people always suspect a lot of times, like, that the person that finds the body or whatever, like, maybe they did it because they found it. But we cannot forget they were told to search and we're told to search starting bottom to top. So, of course, kind of, of course he found her. I mean, it was going to be him or Fleet because they were the ones told to search. So, like, it's not his fault that he found her. That doesn't make him guilty. He was doing what he was told to do. Right. So that's not weird. And it wasn't very long at all before they found her because obviously they started in the basement like they were told to do. And here we go. This was eight hours after they call- had called the police. Again, eight hours after, like, the police could have found her seven oh, hours and 45 yeah. minutes they got there at like six in the morning if yeah. they would have closed yeah sealed off the home and started then she would have been found by 6 30 a.m they don't find her until one a little after 1 p.m yeah and again they find her not the police yeah john, john finds her. and his friend find her yeah. and that's just insane to me i mean i get it i'm again being a dispatcher you know sometimes we i remember getting a couple calls where parents are freaking out because they can't find their children and Okay, when was the last time you saw him? You know, meanwhile, I have the police on the way. Absolutely. But I'm on the phone with them. You know, when's the last time you saw him? What was the last thing they were wearing? Yeah. You know, what's their name? How old? What yeah. do they look like? Yeah. 
And then they end up, they went and laid down. Fell asleep under the bed. Fell asleep in the closet. Yeah, absolutely. Or on the laundry. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always, and yes, the parents always find them, but guess what? The parent is finding an alive child. Right, exactly. And in those cases, and maybe there were in some of them, but they also, this one, it should have been probably taken a little more seriously too that there's a ransom note threatening to behead their child. I mean, you know, they. this was clearly a crime scene. It was clearly she didn't fall asleep somewhere because they're dealing with ransom note and they're dealing with some different stuff that just made it clearly a crime scene from the second the police got there. It was clearly a crime right. scene. Right. You know, John, as soon as they found her, he's thinking, oh, she's, you know, I found her. I found her. Thank we God. To, yeah. Yeah. And so he picks her up. He runs up the stairs and then yeah. they find out that she's dead. Yeah. And then immediately people are looking at him like, well, what did you do to her? Yeah. I mean, come on. First of all, there was a witness with him. Right. You know, yeah, Flea was I mean, with him the whole time. Like, it's insane. He didn't. And he said, when he found her, he said his first thought, she was wrapped in a blanket. And he said his first thought was, thank God. Because she wasn't missing anymore. So he's like, yeah. oh, thank God. And yeah, he said it didn't enter his mind at all immediately that she was dead. He just thought, thank God, because she's not missing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's weird at all. It, particularly if you think she's alive and there are people upstairs to grab her and run her upstairs so we can do what we need. Do we need to do CPR? What do we need to do? Let's, right. let's get her upstairs and let's take care of her. So he runs her upstairs, puts her on the floor, apparently under the Christmas tree, but I don't think under the Christmas tree like a gift. I mean, I think right. it was I like... I think that was kind of Yes, I think it just... Just happened to be kind of next to the Christmas tree. I don't think he like creepily later under the Christmas tree. Right. No. That's just weird. Yeah. Just later by the Christmas tree. Oh, so one of the investigators on the scene, he said, is she dead? So the investigator, of course, I mean, immediately she'd been dead a long time and she said, yes. So, uh, she was wrapped in a blanket. She had a nylon cord wrapped around her neck and her wrists were tied up above her head. And then she had a piece of duct tape over her mouth. So that's how she was found. It's just so sad. Terrible. She was a baby. She was a baby. That's how they found her. Right. Um, so they find her at one and then the Boulder police finally secure the home at one 30. So that's helpful. So, from 5.30 to 1.30 for eight hours, there have been 25 people traipsing in and around the crime scene, and then they decide to secure it. Yeah. At oh, well, thanks for finding her for us. Now we're going to secure Now get out of your home. Even though we made you find your own daughter, see you later. Everyone get out of here. You know, they had already had a pilot hired for the day to take them, you know, for their cruise. So when the police secure the house... Um, John doesn't know where they're going to go or what they're going to do. So he calls his pilot and says, hey, um, just come get us and take us to Atlanta. That's where all of our family is. My big kids are waiting for us there anyway. We're just going to go to Atlanta. Is that weird? Honestly, I kind of think it's weird. I kind of think it's weird. I mean, if it it were my child, I would not leave where my child was until I found the answers to what happened. I I mean, I I understand not wanting to be in the middle of everything and they probably already have these suspicions about the police and the way that they're acting towards them. And now, you know, I just, I think it's kind of weird. I do. I totally do. I don't, I don't think they did it. I don't, I absolutely don't think they did it, but I still think it's weird to want to get out of town immediately. Also, John, he does say when asked about this, he also said, you know, they already kind of assumed it was someone, clearly it was someone who knew where they lived, but it was someone who knew a lot about them, knew their Christmas bonus, probably knew their close friends, probably knew whose house they were at the night before. If they're casing the joint, might have followed them to the party to see where they were. And they did end up going to spend the night at Fleet White's house that night. But he also said it was just for safety. He said he was like, 
I want to get us all out of here. I don't trust anyone anymore. Right. I, they might know where all of our friends live, who knows what they know. So I just want to get us out of here for now. So that's what he says. Right. That's fine. I mean, it's fine. I still think it's a little bit weird. I do. Why did he want to get to Atlanta so quickly? But that's what he said. And I believe him. He right. Wanted, he wanted to keep him safe. He wasn't going to be allowed to stay in his home anyway. So let's just get out of here for a little bit. And they had a funeral for her in Atlanta. And she was buried in Atlanta. And so, I mean, I guess if they think we're just going to go up there. Right. Be with our family and have mm-hmm. our funeral. So, And the... You know, one of the things that really bothers me, I'm, I mean, again, I'm, I'm thinking back to, like, the crime scene and everything. The police decide, you know, they're going to talk to everybody, and they interview or interrogate Bert. That day, yeah. Right. That after He's nine years old. Yeah. And they are shocked that he slept through everything. He's nine. Right. And had been up late working on his model train day after Christmas, and it wasn't that he slept, I mean... It's not like he slept till noon. I mean, right. this all was happening at 5.30 and 6 a.m. Like, right. I mean, my kids sleep hard. They would easily... And remember, huge house, three stories. I mean, he's not, you know, in the living room or in his bedroom sleeping like 20 feet away. He's exactly. upstairs, tucked down at the end of the hall. Totally feasible to me that he would have slept through that. But once he did wake up, he was taken, I think by Fleet's wife, Priscilla, back to the house because he was best friends with their son. And so he was not there when the body was found or like Mm -hmm. when mom was wailing. I mean, the parent, you know, from all accounts, she was wailing and hysterical, even like throwing up when all of this happened. But he was not there for all of that. And Mm -hmm. he, in fact, didn't know that she had died. I don't even think when he got to the interview, he knew yet that she had died. I think Mm -hmm. he thought they were going to tell him, like, we found your sister. He he wasn't that scared. He was just like, okay, well, she's missing. They're going to find him. I'm going to go hang out at my friend's house for today. Right. Yeah. And I mean, who wouldn't want to protect their child and shield them yeah. from this horror? Yeah, that's like, too much. That's too much. Yeah. That's a, a, we forget that he was nine. That's a very young child. A nine-year-old mm-hmm. is a very, very young child. It's not a 16-year-old. It's not a teenager. It's a nine-year-old. So And it's a nine-year-old in 96. Right. Like, we talked about this last night. Like, you know, a nine-year-old in 96 doesn't have the same influences that a nine-year-old in 2019 has. Yeah. I mean... There's all these violent video games, yeah. and I mean, as much as everybody loves the Avengers, they can be really violent, yeah. you know? And so they they have more influences now than they did yeah. then. So why would they think... He's a kid who, like, plays in his treehouse and rides his bike. And plays with yeah. trains. When like, play, yeah, and was building model trains the night before. <laughs> so, yeah, a young kid, an innocent kid that they clearly want to shield from all of this. And, you know, no one... And, and we're going to get into Bergen in another episode. We're going to... I'm just, I'm tabling that. Table what I'm fixing to say. Table it. It's more okay. about Burke. It's more about Burke. But bless his heart. He had slept through the night. He went to his friend's house. And that's that. Yeah. That's that. Bless him. So whenever the police, the investigators, then, you know, secure the crime scene eight hours later, nine hours later, they do find some pieces of key evidence at the crime scene. Found several open windows and at least one open door. That was not the front door, another door. And they said, like, one of the windows that, that they now think was probably the one that the intruder used. But they knew they were open and unlocked. They just kind of left their... I mean, literally, this house had, like, five entrances and exits and, like, 
40 windows. Right. And so they weren't hyper vigilant about making sure every single door and window was locked. So, and the investigators confirmed that, you know, right. that there were several open windows, at least one other open door that night. Um, so it wouldn't have been hard for anyone to gain injury. No. No. And I mean, honestly, like who remembers when you've had this, I mean, what sounds to me like such an entertaining Christmas holiday. Oh yeah. And so maybe I did open a door and didn't close it. Easily. Or maybe I did open a window and forgot to close it. I'm, ter- I mean, I'm terrible about that. I leave my door. I don't need to tell you guys this. Now everyone that's listening <laughs> knows this. But like, I totally, my husband locks us up like we're in Fort Knox and I totally, I don't know what doors are open in my house and what doors are not. I do not. the same though. You do? I mean, you know, I always lock the door behind me. Uh-huh. Always, always lock. But again, maybe it's just because. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know too much. Yeah. You know too much. Yeah. And I, and I'm going to start locking my door, everyone listening. Starting today, I'm leaving. I'm locking. So go, go find one. <laughs> Uh, my husband has a CHL as well, so you're not safe if you try to break into my house. So there you go. But anyway, so the investigators do find lots of open windows, at least one open door, um, found a broken window in the basement. So that window could never be properly closed. And John tells him about this window. He wasn't keeping it a secret. He's mm-hmm. like, hey, this window has been broken forever. Apparently they broke it because the house was locked up and they needed access to the house. They mm-hmm. like locked the key in the house or something. And so the Ramseys themselves had broken this window. And it's a basement window. It's not like it's yeah. a window that you have to right, worry about. Right, in the front of the house. Exactly. So, and he tells them that. He's like, oh, we broke that window, you know, X, Y, Z a long time ago. So anyway, but this broken window, um, knowledge of this broken window wasn't even made available till like a year after the murder because, you know, the consensus was just that they were the perpetrators and they didn't need to gain entry into their own home. So they just kind of let everybody think like they were guilty and that was that. And nobody, the greater public wasn't made aware that there were like plenty of entrances to that house and... Yeah. It just let them think that like, oh, well, they didn't need access. So it's just insane. So it was them. The Ramseys stay in town. So the investigators ask the Ramseys to stay in town. And obviously they agree. They go spend the night at the White's house and it's time to autopsy the body. So I think this is where we're going to stop for part one. So we're going to have a longer part one and probably a longer part two. I mean, there's a lot y'all. 10-96 Crime Chicks podcast got it is our facebook and twitter is at 96 crime so i mean i'm not as up to date with twitter as i am i like twitter but i'm excited to really use facebook as hopefully being able to talk a little bit with our listeners and like get their opinions and now we have instagram and it's 1096 crime chicks that's our Instagram. Our email is 1096crimechicks at gmail.com. And let us I know that's it. Yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah, we'll um, do a poll or something. Ooh, interesting. I love it. Okay. So thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with the new girl, y'all. Go kind. She's awesome. Go kind on the comments about the new girl. <laughs> I don't have a very thick skin like Amy, I'm afraid. So anyway, she's good. You can be honest. Okay. Thanks, y'all, for listening, and we can't wait to do part two. Yay. Have a good one. Bye.